Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88,000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. All right, good morning. So good to see everybody here today. Thanks for being here on another beautiful weekend. Start with two great words, go hogs. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Um, This guy walked in. I'm not going to point him out or anything, but he's probably sitting pretty close to y'all. He's wearing an Ole Miss shirt this morning. And uh, yeah, that's right. I know. I told him we would have prayer at the end of the service. We'd meet him up here. That was just like declaring he was an atheist. So... Uh, if he's sitting next to you, just reach out and put your hand on him today. Pray. We are in a series that we're going to end this morning. Uh, it's been a, a five-week series, and I want to recap that really quick because there may be some of you that's only been able to be here a couple of weeks or uh, you're, you're behind a week. And so we kind of titled this, Don't Be That Couch. And uh, we used an old couch metaphor couch that my uh, grandparents bought in the 40s and still had when we were growing up, and it came with a lot of rules to it. Couldn't look at it, couldn't sit on it, couldn't, you know, bring your drink anywhere close to it or food close to it, and they did one of those plastic wraps on it. I don't think people do that anymore, but they, you know, they they were protecting this piece of furniture. And so uh, I simply compared that to Uh, what it's like for us to just kind of guard our religion, to guard how we view church, view Christ, and how we almost stop enjoying it. It becomes something that's less enjoyed and more protected and guarded. And so that was kind of week one. I just kind of teed up that that series for us. Week two, we talked about the ecclesia, and just uh, that's the word that means the gathering. And so this word church, meaning a building or a place, was actually a a fluke in translation. That's actually a German word that we kind of brought over into the translation piece. But when Christ is saying, I'm going to build my church, he's actually saying, I'm going to build my gathering. And um, so he goes on to teach that, you know, when, when I'm crucified and resurrected and with the Father, when Peter dies and James dies, dies and John dies, this thing is still going to continue and we're living proof of that. So here we are 2,000 plus years after the story, the original story, and uh, we're still talking about it and, com- and communicating this story forward. We are the steward of the story of Jesus. And then uh, week three, I ask you to walk away from your Sinai experiences. And what I meant by that was Sinai was just this place of, of rest and adventure and uh, getting an, uh, a look at the mystery of God and how those places in our lives can become very comfortable, so comfortable that we'll stop there and camp out and not move forward. And so uh, I begged you to ask the question of God, what's next for me? All right, so last week we talked about Uriah, and we talked about how it wasn't a sword that killed him or a javelin that killed him or a dagger that killed him. It was the withdrawing uh, of his army away from him due to David's order uh, that ended up taking his life. The isolation, the loneliness, death by withdrawal. And um, I just basically challenged you to find a reconnection in the body of Christ. Uh, 
And so if you're that person who's kind of on the periphery this morning, come on back in, get engaged, get all in, find your people, live life with them, and find a connection in the body. So today I want to wrap up this series, and I'm going to end it by talking about being offended, okay? And uh, I am going to talk about how offense can be one of the biggest things that derail us in our Christian journey. Now, our mission at NLC is simple. It's so that we uh, can be a place for your family and your friends to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's what we've always said. And so to do that, to be a place where your family can come and devote itself to Christ, where you can invite your friends in and have them devote their lives to Christ, we got to win in this area of being offended. And so I want to begin this talk this morning by just simply saying that on some level, we're all experts on this particular topic. We've all been offended on some level in our lives at someone or something, but typically a someone. And we point to it, whether it is politics, whether it's a friend, whether it's an organization, whether it's a person of authority, whether it's a church or whether it's God himself, um, we know what it's like and what it feels like to take offense. Now, I would preface that by saying that this is clearly escalated. This is not um, a practice that most of you grew up with. It was very rare for you uh, to be offended and stay offended or to uh, be offended as often as people around you are offended. And uh, researchers are still trying to peg whether it's always been like that or whether it's because we are able to look at each other's thoughts so frequently through social media, and I'm not dogging it, it's, it's a great tool, but it's, uh, it gives us the ability to share an endless amount of thoughts. And so we're able to look at a glance and see they, they're offended and they don't like something and they don't like something and they're hurt and they're hurt and they're hurt. And we just kind of go through this long list of seeing someone who's offended and we tend to take sides. And so it doesn't even have to be um, direct offense. It can be indirect offense. You can be upset because your friend is offended. And so this is something that like, like poison can get into uh, the inside of anything. It can get into a friendship, it can get into a church, it can get into an organization, and once it runs its poison through there, you're left with a remnant of what you used to have, and it takes a lot of teaching and a lot of healing to get that stuff out and gone. And so I think my goal today is just to say, hey, you're going to have the ability to be offended. And it's going to be up to you as to how quick you rid yourself of it, get it gone, reframe it, take another look at it, and, and get past it and let the Lord heal that in your heart and mind. And so um, it is a very highly offended, it, it is a cultural epidemic right now, um, the, this thing of, of, of offense. So Jesus actually prophesied that this was going to happen. So I'm going to start off today in Matthew 24, 10, and this is what he says. He says, and then many, everybody say many, will be offended. And then he takes it a step further, and he says, they will betray one another, and they will hate one another. Um, you could almost teach this that this is um, in chronological order. 
We start with an offense, and then we betray, whether it's something that was sacred like a friendship, we betray the friendship, a covenant that that was made, and then because of that, hatred sets in. It uh, frequently can turn into, I hate you more than I ever loved you, because hate is very, very strong. And so a harbored offense in you is like a battleship. I mean, it can run through and cause a lot of damage and cause damage quickly in your personal relationships, in your marriage, and even in your relationship with God. There may be some of you this morning who have been offended at God for a long time. Maybe it was something you thought he should have done. Maybe it was that you look around and someone that you're offended at is doing better at life than you are. And you take offense at that because what you want is for God to be mad at that person too. So if you don't like them, you don't want God to like them and you don't want him to bless them and to lift them up and encourage them and you look at their, at their, their life and you don't see it being destroyed, and you don't see it being cursed. If anything, you may see it being lifted up, and that bothers you, and you take offense at it. Maybe something was said to you, done to you, in a church that was hurtful, it was distasteful. It may have even been unintentional, but it happened. And because of that, you've got an offense. You've got something inside of you that that you're wringing your hands, wondering how how you're going to end up Um, making this work out for you. And so there are two categories of offense that I want to address this morning. And I'm going to do what speakers shouldn't do, which is to put everybody in one of those two categories. But I do believe most of us would fit into one of these two. The first one is a legitimate offense. This is those of you who have every right to be offended. Like something truly happened. You were a victim in it. Somebody said it, they came against you, it was a plot, it was premeditated, it was first-degree offense. They thought about you in the midnight hour, and they said, how am I going to go after them and hurt them? And they did it. One of our campus pastors tells this story. He says, I got into a fight in the seventh grade with a a 16-year-old eighth grader, and he had a full beard. And he said, the boy's name was Joseph, and he said, I got in this fight with Joseph, and it was terrible, and I went to my youth pastor, and I said, listen, man, this kid at school, I'm trying to be like Christ, but he, he just whipped me yesterday, and he said, well, man, what you, you got to do is, is turn the other cheek, and he said, I did, and he hit it several times. Um, truth is, we all have a Joseph, and you may work with one, live with one, attend church with one, so we all have a person in our lives, that if you think about it, some of you can think really fast because you're walking through this journey right right now, and you think to yourself, man, I got a Joseph, and I'm tired of that guy. And you don't connect with the Josephs in your life. Again, you want God to side with you. You want God to, to rid the world of the uh, Josephs. But John 3.16 always gets us because it says, for God so loved who? The world, and the world includes all of our Josephs. So we have to realize from a supernatural uh, position, from a God who loves unconditionally, he still loves your Joseph. 
and he still loves my Joseph. And so there is legitimate offense. People who find us, people who run into us, they say nasty things. They don't care about your feelings. They railroad you. They talk bad about you. They gossip about you. Um, They tell lies about you any chance that they can. Chances are that's more about them than it is you, but still you're on the receiving end of that, and it hurts. The second category would be illegitimate offense. And this is those of you who think you've been mistreated. So it's not something true and concrete and factual. It's more about a feeling, a perception. I think they are out to hurt me. I think they are trying to split this family. I think that you said it. I think I told you this once, and now I'm hearing it circle back around to me. It's got to be you. You're the one who's talking about me. When Riley was very small, we were on a ministry trip. We were speaking in in Kentucky, and um, I know you know this, but there's a lot of sinners there. And so she, we, we decided that we, we were going to take her bowling. And so she's really small, and she's really excited. And I'm excited because it's her first trip bowling. And so I let her pick out a bowling ball, and she gets the bowling ball, and she's holding it with two hands, and she's walking. And, and I don't know when the last time you've been in kind of an, of, of an older bowling alley, but there used to be uh, where the balls would come up, and you would, you would get it. And then there was a step, and you had to step up and then go out to the, the alley. And so she was walking, and she had her bowling ball, and she didn't see the step. So she hit it and went forward. It was perfect. It was like a movie. She just kept the ball out in front of her and fell, and wham, hit it. And I just put my bowling ball up, and I said, well, we got to go to urgent care. I didn't even look at it, see it. I heard it, and I knew that's that's definitely a stitch sound. And so um, sure enough, she got up. She was very upset, split it wide open. We took her to an urgent care, and I begged the doctor, can you please just glue it, just glue it. Why? Because I knew what was coming. And so I didn't want to hold her down. I didn't want stitches. I didn't want the drama of it. I didn't want the trauma of it. I just wanted you to throw some glue on there, and let's act like nothing ever happened. Let's go back and bowl again. And so he said, listen, you can go and chase down another doctor in town, but I'm not going to glue it, man. It needs stitches. And I said, all right. And I said, but listen, she's going to give you grief. And he said, I've, I've stitched many moving targets. So I said, all right. So we got in there, and they covered her face with this little thing and had a hole, you know, if you've ever, ever had stitches. And, and, man, I mean, she was just sweating. She was so worked up, so anxious over it. And um, she was crying, and he was giving her, you know, shots to numb it up. She didn't like that. And so... I kept trying to to peer under the napkin, and he was getting frustrated with me because he kept pushing it down, and I was I was right there, and 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 so I got under there once, and she had kind of tilted her head, and I looked under the napkin, and she looked at me, and she goes, "I done with you." <laughs> we still talk about it because it broke my heart. I was like, "Oh my gosh," and, and here's why: is because she thought. I was trying to hurt her. She thought, I'm trying to, I mean, it, my, my dad heart, I'm like, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to, I mean, I've been pleading this guy to just throw some glue on there and he won't do it. I'm your advocate, but she was done with me. And I was like, why? I took offense. Why are you done with me? You know, I'm trying to talk to a one-year-old. Why are you talking to me and not, and not, not the doctor? And, and so 
I think that happens to us more times than we want to admit. If there are people in our lives who try to help us, but we take offense, we're hurt toward it. Um, life is messy sometimes. Relationships are messy. Friendships are messy. Church is messy. Career is messy. Community is messy. And this is why scripture tells us where there are no oxen, the stable is clean. Meaning this, it's great until the oxen show up. And then it's dirty. And he's saying this, church is great until we got here. And your job is great until everybody shows up tomorrow. And, and, and so there, there are no problems right now at Chick-fil-A this morning because nobody's there. <laughs> and so where there are no oxen, the stable is clean. So we take offense sometimes at those who want to help us. But whichever of these two categories you fall into, I hope we're able to discover that we can actually live a life of being unoffended. So let me give you some word today. Luke chapter 17, I'm reading from the King James because of where I want to take this. I like the, I like the wording. 17 and 1 in the KJV, he says, Then he said to, unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they, they come. So he said, listen, you're going to be offended. And in time, those who stir up offense are going to be dealt, dealt with. And then you fast forward four verses, and this is where I kind of want to plant for just a little bit of time. In Luke 17, 5 and 6, again from the King James, he says, And the apostles said unto him, Increase our faith. Okay, so they're, they're hearing him teach, and they're like, This is worrisome. And you're God. Why don't you just give us a gift of faith? Why don't you just make us stronger so that when it comes, we're not affected by it? And he does not say that we will be offended, but rather that offense will come. And so he goes on to say, if you had a faith as a grain of mustard seed, then you might say unto the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, Near Galilee, there are two types of mulberry trees. One is the white mulberry, one is the black mulberry. This verse is speaking of the black mulberry tree. It is frequently called the sycamine tree. And I'm going to teach about being offended for just a few minutes about the sycamine tree because keep in mind, this is what he's talking about. He's teaching about being offended. He's saying offense is going to come. And then suddenly he's looking for an image to give them that says this is what is comparable to offense. Because everybody around that Mediterranean rim knew about this mulberry and they knew what the sycamine tree was like. So the first thing about it is this. The sycamine tree had a very large and deep root system. It was robust. If you tried to cut it down to the ground, oftentimes it still would not kill it. It had just such a great root system. Sometimes it would grow to the height of 30 plus feet. And so like the sycamine tree, offense can have a very deep and significant and robust root system. When, when we let it get into our lives and grow and sit there unchecked, 
it just gets deeper and wider and deeper and wider and deeper and wider. And you can try to take the cap off. You, you can try to cut it down. You can try to do a lot of things to it to treat it. But it is so robust that if we're not careful, some offenses can be a lifetime offense. They can just stay with you. The second thing is that the sycamine tree grows fast and virtually in any climate. If we're not careful, again, offense can happen fast, and it can grow anywhere. It can grow in a big city, a small town, a small business, a small church, a large church. It can exist anywhere. It can exist in your family. It can exist long distance. And it can happen quick, and it can grow in any climate. Third, and I found this to be the most ironic of the the three indicators of, of the sycamine, is that the sycamine tree in that day and time was the wood that was used most for making coffins. So, again, metaphorically, he's saying offense can house you in a place that you don't want to be housed. It is coffin-esque for you to sit in an offense for months and months, years, years, a lifetime, sometimes passing it down by generation. A whole generation takes offense at something and they communicate it to a new generation. We were mad about it and you should be too. And so this coffin metaphor is exactly how this plays out. It will kill you. It will choke you out. And you can be so life-giving in one area, but be so angry and just seething with offense in another and put yourself into a coffin. So let's break down being offended for a second. The first thing I'll talk about is this. We get offended where we are the most insecure. We're the most vulnerable there. We're the most sensitive there. And so if there's an area in your life that you're personally insecure about, chances are you get offended there rather quickly. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this jokingly, but this, this at one time was very, very real to me. I almost put up a, a picture of this this morning. But in my 20s, I was a very, very thin person. Did one of y'all just laugh? I think it came, I think it was from this area. I'm going to show showed you a picture. I have a picture I saw this week of me. I look 12, but I'm actually like 23. I can't believe it. I was just tiny. But something happened when I got married. It was, it was like fried chicken and I, I, no, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm kidding. And my family are brutal. My, um, my dad's mom and dad, my paternal grandparents, I would walk into their house and they would go, well, my goodness, you are fat. I was like, what? Yeah, you're fat. What happened? This is the same guy, mind you. I'm going to tell this on you, Rob. This, my grandfather was... I think he just had a couple of years left, maybe less than she's saying. And 
my wife went to see him, and he, she leaned in, and she goes, hey, I'm Kevin's wife. And he goes, you can't be Kevin's wife. Kevin married a pretty woman. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. And then he died. But my family, for some reason, on that side is just very open about weight gain and all these things. And it got to be this running joke where every single Thanksgiving, I would walk in, I would know it. It was going to happen. Whoa, you've, whew, you might want to fast Thanksgiving this year. You know, just got, it has got all kinds of crazy to it. And it got to be this place where I would, I would just dread it. Like two or three days out, I would just be like, I just dread going. I dread hearing it. I dread the ha-has following it. I just dread it. And for some reason, it, it would get in there, and it would, just, it would just make just a sore spot. And I started getting really, really snappy at it. You know, my brother-in-law, one time I walked in, he said, man, you're fat. And I said, well, you're ugly, and I can fix being fat. So, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know how to help you. And then I'd sneak off into the bedroom. I'd be like, Father, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have. Just, it just came out. We get offended in areas that, that are already soft, that we're already dealing with, insecurities that, we've already have, that we already have, looks or intelligent or social status or a past, something, whatever it is. We get really sensitive, and it doesn't take much pressure to push that button in our lives where, where we take offense. Second, being offended can lead to obsessive thoughts. When we're offended, we can have a soundtrack playing in our mind that sounds like this. I wonder how long they've thought that about me. I wonder how long they thought that about me. I wonder how long they thought that about me. Were we ever really friends? Were we ever friends? Were we ever friends? Was all that made up and it just plays over and over? What did they mean by that? What did they mean by that? Um, what did that look mean? And, and, and if you're like me and, and you have an analytical uh, uh, mindset anyway that you were just, you know, that's just your biological predisposition to look and try to break down everything to it, the most simplest content, then you will run that and run it and run it and run it until it somehow makes sense to you. And it's just unhealthy to create these obsessive thoughts about an offense. And this is where love begins to transition. This is that gray area where love begins to shift and turn toward dislike and betrayal and then hatred and then just seething. We just sit in it and boil in it and it becomes very, very unhealthy to us. Third, and this, this is hard, but we get offended the most by people we love. This is very hard for us because no one can hurt you or offend you like a friend. And so this is why you've got to deal with it very, very quickly so it does not become like the sycamine, so it doesn't take root, so it doesn't spread out. You need to go quickly and get it taken care of. Here's why we are offended the most by people we love, because we care what they think. They're in our group. Chances are you've shared more of your life with those friends than any other person. And it means something to you, what they think, how they perceive you. And when they say something sharp to you, quick-tongued, quick-witted, and it stings, and maybe it steps on one of those insecurities in your own life that they may not even know about. Or again, it's, un, it's unintentional. They don't mean 
to hurt you, but they do. But we care deeply about what our, our inner circle thinks. Getting offended is rarely done long range. It is an up-close and personal offense that hurt. And man, I wish I had time, but as I was digging on this this week, it came out that this, this kiss by Judas, extremely personal. It was up, up close. This wasn't done by an email. It was a, I'm going to signify who he is by walking into a space that he has given me an opportunity of friendship that he's given me. And I'm going to get within two feet of him, and then I'm going to lean in, and I'm going to kiss him on, on the cheek, and you're going to know that that's the person. Very, very personal. Proverbs 18 and 19 says, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Man, when, you, when you've offended a friend, when you've hurt a friend, it's, it's so hard to go back to them and say, I, I didn't mean it, or I messed up, or hey, I know it, it, it takes time again to build back this, this element of trust. So again, many times the easiest people to offend or be offended by are people that are the, are the closest to us. Fourth, offended hearts end up giving birth to offended behaviors. That because I'm hurt, you know, you've always heard it said, hurt people hurt people. This is what it's talking about. I've got offense in my heart, and therefore my, my behavior becomes as one who is offended. I keep everyone at an arm's length. I stop trusting people in general because of what somebody else has, has, has done. And I'm, I'm going to be very, very sensitive here, but this is why when uh, some people really, really struggle with dating or they struggle with a remarriage because they bring in a suitcase from another relationship that says some of what is in this suitcase you're going to be affected by because I've got some offense and some hurt and some pain in here that even though you weren't around, you're going to have to work through with me. We end up throwing up an offended behavior. To give you scripture with that, Proverbs chapter 4, 23 tells us, he says, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because everything that you do will flow from it. From my heart comes my thought life, comes my actions, comes based upon the, 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 how, how much kindness I'm showing. How I demonstrate Jesus is because of what's going on in my heart. And if my heart is offended... I will behave as someone who is offended. So let me apply this really, really quick and give you a couple of tools on how to prevent it. The first thing on how not to be offended or prevent offense is to use the word against your wound, okay? This is one of those things that you just have to believe is a spiritual principle, that the word of God is powerful and sharp and a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You've got to believe that this word, we can address issues in our life with it. We can speak it over our circumstances. We can speak it towards sin. We can speak it over our heart, over our offense. There's so much power and healing in the spoken word of God, and your ears need to hear it. 
So speak it out of your mouth. Let it come out into reality. So when you have an offense, speak over it, okay? Is it interesting to you at all that in the Lord's prayer even, he says, forgive us of our trespass as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Why? Because there's power in that. It's one way to flood that out of your life is as I'm forgiven, I forgive. As I'm forgiven, I forgive. It's very difficult to be offended towards someone that you are also blessing. Okay, now let me plug my life into this. There was a person in my life, had been in my life for many, many years, and we always butted heads. It wasn't ridiculous. It was just tension all the time. But the Lord began to deal with my heart about blessing them. And at first, I'm like you. I was like, I think you're speaking to the wrong person. Maybe, maybe talk to him or another person. I, I'm, I'm not ready to bless him. And the more the Lord began to deal with me about this, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever had, had to practice this, but it's, it's awful. But you just begin to pray over that person, and I was really struggling, and I asked God, how am I supposed to do this? It's like just these simple things started coming to my mind, like, how would you pray for a friend? Well, I would pray over his family, and I would pray over his children. I'd pray over his business. I'd pray over safety. He said, just like that. And, man, it was hard to call out that person's name and say, bless them, lift them up, encourage them. And it was so hard. I just remember tears coming down my face, not because I was loving it, but because it was hard. But before too long, I began to realize that my level of angst against that person was declining. And there was never like this big magical moment, you know, huge ending that causes everyone to just applause. Like, and then we became best friends. No. But I, I will tell you this. The offense gets healed in it. So it's like the Lord isn't asking you to befriend your enemies. He's, he's not asking you to, to go back into dangerous scenarios and try to build a bridge. No. But what he is asking you to do is pull something up by the roots and stop giving it mental real estate. I'm not going to think about it anymore. I'm not going to. I'm not going to live it out anymore. I'm not going to let my behaviors be one of someone who is clearly offended. I'm going to bless them, and I'm going to get rid of this offense. Lastly, we need to arrest our offense. Now, let me give you a scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Remember to hear this through the context of being offended. He says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Watch this. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 
I'm going to arrest my offense. I'm going to do it. I'm going to say, you can't do that in my life. You're not going to win in my life. You're not going to dictate the behavior in my life. You're not going to make me afraid of people or the church or the kingdom or to be so sensitive. I'm not going to do those things anymore because I am going to arrest it and I am going to bring it into the obedience of Jesus Christ, which means this. I am going to think about bigger picture, that that offense is so small and minute compared to the big picture of what God has for my life. I'm not going to blow it up. I'm not going to have this offense in my life sitting around and landscape it and make it look pretty and make it a staple. No, I'm going to get rid of this thing and I'm going to hold it captive. I'm going to arrest it. I'm going to tell it you do not have a place in my life. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to roll my sleeves up and I'm going to arrest the offenses in my life. Again, the mission of our church is so that people can become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we will never, ever become fully devoted followers of Jesus if we are walking around seething in, in, in offense. So I'm asking you this morning, if you are sitting in this room today and you have offense and you've got something in your life that is keeping you from fully following Jesus, from being free, speak a word to your wound, arrest this offense, and get back into a place of healthy relationship with God and your own heart and other people. Okay? Let them go. Let the offense go. And let God pour in healing in your life this morning, all right?